everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have special guest author Barbara Ankrum here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please tell us how 2021 is going for you and how you've been taking care of yourself this year. Oh, thanks. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And I, so 2021 is definitely better than 2020. <laughs> 2020 was rough. <laughs> and uh, 2020 saw like a big dive in my creative output. And um, I guess for a lot of writers, that was true. But 2021, I'm sort of getting back in my groove again. And I'm writing a book. I'm working on one right now, just the third book in a series that I've got going right now. And um, my son got married uh, last weekend. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you, which was really fun. So that was something we were looking forward to. And he got married out in LA. And so we did that. Turned out great. So yeah, so that's that's kind of my year in a nutshell. Kind of boring, but you know, it was good. Better than 2020. Yeah. Definitely better than 2020. Definitely. Yeah. Looking forward to 2022. I think we all are, right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's so weird. I don't, I'm yeah. like, what does 2022 have in store for us? I, I feel children in the future are going to be doing like history class and there'll be just big gaps for 2020 and 2021. Like we're not talking about that anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Big blank. <laughs> so let's kick some things off with some icebreaker questions. Um, okay. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Aside from she overthinks everything, um, <laughs> that would be the first thing probably. Um, the second would be, I guess if you're my friend and I love you, you're going to get a happy birthday song from me in public every year. It's just going to happen. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to stop it. <laughs> It's very embarrassing because I'm really not a singer, but you know, I just have to say no. <laughs> My but thing. I will bust out in happy birthday for <laughs> friends. Right. Yes. Right. I will. I do. What is one of your guiltless pleasures? Oh, TV, I guess. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a TV head. I love to watch TV. I love movies. I love, you know, I'm we're we're from LA for for a very long time. We we're both in the business for a long time. So it sort of became part of our business and that was my excuse. And, well, it's part of the business. Mm-hmm. And um but no, I just love I love film. So that's my guiltless pleasure. I don't care. I don't care what everybody says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's it's it. fine. I mean, sometimes you have to just watch I tv I, <laughs> yeah. you, and it's been a life, lifesaver this past year i must say so oh yeah what are yeah. some of your shows like what do yeah. you not miss you know um well for a long time i loved gray's anatomy and then it kind of got mm-hmm. really long <laughs> it was going on and on. i did love that show we watched a lot of netflix we just watched made which was just fantastic i have to say love that I don't know. I mean, I, I watch a lot of TV, so it'd be hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> what was your first job? Uh, that would have been, let's see, I think I was at Santa's Elf. You know, isn't that perfect, really? I was a Santa's awesome. Elf, and I was I was the photographer who took all the pictures of the kids. Oh, that I is love awesome. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a really fun job. I think it was at like some, you know, five and dime kind of place that mm-hmm. was you know, so fun. And oh my gosh, I still have a picture of myself in that little costume of mine, which <laughs> I just loved it. It was so much fun. And I'm, I, I love kids. So you know, that was perfect for me. What's one of the best purchases you've treated yourself to this year? I bought a new computer because my old one would literally crash on me as I was finishing a book every time. And so, um, yeah, so I'm really happy to have that new computer that just like, it's perfectly safe. And I don't do really much of anything else on it. So 
Yeah. That'd be it. What's one thing you find yourself nostalgic for? Um, let's see. I think, well, okay. So we moved to Texas a couple years ago. We, we left, we left LA, um, where we lived for our whole lives and we, we loved hiking in LA because there's lots of hills and mountains to hike on. And um, I miss that. It's so flat here. <laughs> there's, there's no hiking per se. It's walking basically. So mm-hmm. I really miss the mountains and I miss being close to places like Yosemite where we would go and um, the mm. beach, walking on the beach. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little nostalgic for LA. Wow. Yeah. I, when you think of Los Angeles, you think of, you know, the, the Hollywood and all yeah. of that. And I'm just, like I want to visit at least once and just do like normal people things like go to coffee shops check out the bookstores walk on the beach Uh (laughs) you've never been to LA I've never Mm -hmm. been I've never even been to California I mean (gasps) what in the love is going on (laughs) you must go it's so pretty there and see I like I I love outdoor stuff so all of that just has me excited like why haven't I been yeah well you can do in LA you can do the mountains and the ocean in the same day, which is yeah. and the yeah. desert and the desert in the same day. I mean, literally all yeah. of it right there. Yeah. Yeah. And the state's so vast. Like if you go up towards San Francisco, you know, it's a com- right. it's like you're at a completely different place. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's way colder up there <laughs> than it is. In <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, my daughter, my daughter is in Napa right now. And I mean, like, that's the, the great thing about California is like there's so much diversity there. And I mean, there's something for everybody. Whatever you feel like doing, you can do in, in California. It's, it's a beautiful state. But I saw on your website, so you're like an upstate New York. Are you are you originally from the East Coast? Yeah, I, I'm originally from, originally from Syracuse. That's where I grew up. Okay, so how was the culture difference when yeah. you moved? Oh, well, huge um, I mean, like, that's hard to even, you know, say I, I was from, I mean, Syracuse is a university town, but it's kind of a small town in a way. And, um, I moved, um, I went, I went away to college and my parents decided, or my father got a job out in California, which was like never going to happen, but I always wanted to be an actress. So I was determined somehow to make it out there. And it was just like, you know, a miracle happened and (laughs) they dropped a job in his lap and I said, I'm coming with you. So I was lucky enough to get have a place, you know, to be there. And I started working, I started going to acting workshops out there. And eventually I moved into my own place. And um, I worked like three jobs at a time or four jobs at a time. It was crazy. Oh my god, A crazy time. And I was, you know, auditioning for acting jobs and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, it was so fun. It was a fun, fun time in my life. And I did, I did work in commercials for about 10 years. That's what I ended up doing. Cause I, I ended up having, I got married, met my husband mm-hmm. at one of those jobs and <laughs> he walked into a bar <laughs> where I was working. And, um, I, so I ended up working in commercials, which worked out really well for me. Cause I, I was, I, I was a mom and I didn't really want to be away from my kids for that long. So commercials worked out great. So that's what I did. And okay. Then- we have to talk about this because mm-hmm. this is something you see on movies, right? I feel like you don't hear about it in real life. So you're out in, in LA, you're uh-huh. wanting to make it, you're working uh-huh. like three or sometimes four jobs at once. How are you living that life of like, I'm a, I've never been to LA, but I'm just assuming it's really expensive to live mm-hmm. out there. So yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. to like make a living, but you're also pursuing this dream of yours. How do you find the time to work and also go to casting calls or, mm-hmm. you know, go to these acting classes? Like, how are you doing that? Well, you know, like a lot of actors uh, out there, 
a lot of the jobs are wait- waiting jobs. So I worked a lot of night shifts as a waitress and a cocktail waitress too. And and then I also worked at um, Bullock's, which is now Macy's. I worked at the cosmetics counter there in Macy and Bullock's uh, in Westwood. Um, so that was my only day job um, during that time. So mostly I, I was free. I, I could get free for auditions um, most of the time. Um, but I mean, the hard part of breaking in in Hollywood is getting an agent, getting in the union. And I was super lucky that that happened for me. I got this thing, they do Taft Hartley thing, which is a union thing, which is like, if somebody really wants to cast you in something, they can get you a Taft Hartley, which means you can buy into the union. You can get into the union um, with one job, which is so hard to do anymore. It does happen still, but back in the day, you know, when I was doing it, I was really young and I looked really young. And so they gave me a little bit of room <laughs> that I wasn't in the union yet. And they hired me for a McDonald's commercial. That's how I got in the union. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So can you just enlighten me here? Because I'm one of those weird people. Like I love watching commercials. I know like my husband <laughs> yeah. is one of those people that like fast forwards to everything. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. are they harder to make than what they look like? <laughs> they are complicated. They are not as easy as they look. They're definitely not. Um, and, and the, well, the, the audition process is also, you know, real competitive, super competitive. Mm-hmm. I got a head and shoulders commercial that was probably one of my biggest commercials. And um, I was pregnant at the time. I was pregnant with my daughter. And I just had that pregnant glow, I guess, about me or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I had a Farrah Fawcett like haircut at the time. And I was up against this girl who was this gorgeous model. And I knew her from modeling. I'd seen her on magazines even, you know. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm never going to get this job. I don't have a prayer for, for this job. And for some reason, they cast me. I don't know how it happened, but they did. So that one was amazing. I was sitting on a bus scratching my head, not getting the guy, you know, of course, maybe it was that. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, so that one played for a few years and, and a lot of people actually remembered that for a while. So that was wow. fun. And, and I, I did I did probably about 30, 30, 35 commercials, you know, during that time. And um and that was wow. uh, yeah, that was it was a fun time. And then this is so interesting. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and sure. then <laughs> no and then my husband was actually acting too. My husband was an actor for many years and he 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 did a, a few series and he did a lot of guest star stuff and then he transitioned mm-hmm. into being a writer he was on sitcom writing and so we were both kind of in the creative world you know in the creative field and yeah ultimately he pulled me into screenwriting with him in the early 2000s. I was doing that for a while. So it was all Hollywood related. And I have to say, I don't miss that part of living in LA. <laughs> I don't miss it. You know, I, I really didn't miss acting even when I once I left it. I had dreams of being an actor, actor, you know, like in films. And that just didn't happen because I was a mom. And it was just that's what had to happen. When I didn't get that, you know, I started I started writing. And I, I just, you know, I had too many gaps between auditions or I was waiting to hear and I just wanted more creative control over my creative life. And and that's when I started writing. So. Is it hard to break into the that particular like into the world of Hollywood as a writer? I mean, is it just as competitive as oh, yeah. being an actor? Wow. I think wow. it's even I think it's even more competitive, honestly. Um, it's it's like getting struck by lightning, getting something done in Hollywood, you know, getting a screenplay produced, um, actually get it on film. I mean, you see, there's tons of films out there, but I mean, like literally there aren't that many. If you look, you know, how many people, if you talk to anybody in LA, everybody's writing a screenplay, you know, everybody's got some idea 
And so there's a lot of screenplays floating around. So it's super competitive. And as far as the acting goes, once you kind of get into your niche, you know, and you find you find your niche as an actor, you know, you're up against a much smaller group of people in competition so yeah i would say it's much more competitive as a screenwriter in fact you know like we my husband and i were doing a screenplay that we had in development for a while it was optioned and we i mean it came so close we had lots of directors attached to it at different times and it never did get and it was the most frustrating thing because me as a novelist i like writing by myself i have my, only myself to answer to and it was a collaborative thing as a screenwriter too which is real different from novel writing and then it didn't get made but you know well, anyway, we'll get into that later, but <laughs> but yeah, Hollywood is is super competitive. Yeah, it's hard. Wow. Well, we love romance origin stories. Can you share with us how you became a romance reader? I saw on your website there was like some reading by flashlights and stuff like that. <laughs> so give us all the details. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I. I love reading. Growing up, I read everything. I, I spent most of my time, I was a book nerd, totally. And I would read cereal boxes if I had nothing else to read. And and again, like I said, I did love movies too. And I think, well, I had a serious crush on Haley Mills. I wanted to be Haley Mills, who was, a for all of you who are too young to remember that, she was a Disney star and did all the Disney movies. Um, and she the Parent was, Trap, right? Yes, Parent Trap, uh-huh. Moon Spinners. And she was a couple years, a few years older than me. And um, I just looked up to her and I'm like, I want to be you. I want to be an actress. I want to do what you do. But there was this movie she was in called Moon Spinners, which is this kind of romantic suspense kind of comedy. Um, Mary Stewart. This, yes, Mary Stewart. And when I found out it was Mary Stewart, I'm like, Mary Stewart, what? You know, I'm like, well, I have to find this author. I have to figure out who this is. And I started reading her books and I and I read uh, The Crystal Cave and The Hollow Hills, all those, you know, that series of books about, about King Arthur and uh, Merlin. And mm-hmm. I just got hooked on that. And it was also very romantic, too. And, you know, again, I was like watching Camelot with Richard Harris, who was like my other crush. So, yeah, I, I loved reading um, love stories, but I really didn't get into reading romance per se, romance, until I was pregnant, I think, with my daughter uh, in the early or in the mid early 80s. And a friend gave me a book um, by Celeste de Blasis, which was called The Proud Breed. <laughs> and if you've ever seen that book, it's like, I don't know, a thousand pages long. <laughs> it <laughs> takes up you know, two or three spaces on my bookshelf. And I still have that original book that I that I read of hers, but I loved it so much. And that was the first time I actually thought, I wonder if I could write one of these, you know, I, I wonder if I could do this. And um, I had gone to college, you know, I'd been an English major. English was my path of least resistance because for some reason it was easier for me to write than it was for me to do math, which I still can't do. <laughs> and um, same, yeah. same, <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, I sort of knew the um, mechanics of writing. Uh, it was the storytelling part that I had to kind of get down. So, so yeah, I. So that was the first time. And then I started reading everything. I mean, I, I read every romance novel I could get my hands on. And Okay, so the book was called The Proud Breed? The Proud Breed, yeah. Wow, okay, and it, tell us about the book because I've never heard of it before. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. It was set in California in the West. I mean, like an, it was a, I think it was probably 18, mid 20s or 30s, 18, 20 or 30. And it was about the, um, uh, the Spanish land that was taken over by white Anglo-Saxon and what happened to those, you know, Mexican kind of estates that were taken over. And it was a 
a man, a hero and a heroine in that story. I think there was a, an injury at the very beginning of him. And um, I really can't even remember the whole story now. It was a saga. It was such a beautiful story. And it was such an amazing love story. But it was really sad in that in that kind of world of the, of the West. And wow. because I love the West anyway, I one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorite movies was uh, How the West Was Won. <laughs> So, I mean, there's lots of problems with that story, but I loved it back in the day. You yeah. Know? It was, yeah, it was something that really inspired me. So I had read that book and I read, I started reading, reading a lot of historicals. I really didn't read contemporaries for a long time. It was just the historicals that I was reading. Laverell Spencer. Mm. Oh, yeah. If you're into Westerns or uh, books set mm-hmm. over there, that's yes. like the go-to. Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. I, I miss her. I wish she was still writing. She was my, I, I mean, once I found her, I thought, okay, wait, maybe I can do this. <laughs> I really like this. So so that she was my, she was really my inspiration after Celeste Blesses. Yeah, she's one of those authors that were just like, what? Why aren't you writing? What are you yeah. doing now? <laughs> enjoying her life, I guess. Clearly, yeah. enjoying her retirement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, her books still sell, I think. And I think oh, I, time. by the time, I, I mean, when I started writing, I, I would say a good third of all the authors that I, you know, kind of came in with were, you know, inspired by her. She was their, mm. you know, their go-to person as well. So I met her at a conference one time for RWA and I just made an idiot of myself just like <laughs> I was like oh my gosh Miss Spencer and she was very sweet she was very nice I can imagine that being the case for like everyone like when mm-hmm. you finally yeah. get to meet like your yes. author and yeah. you just totally screw it up I hear that every yes. time <laughs> like why did I say that yeah <laughs> it's like I finally got the chance and I couldn't say anything I know I was just totally fun. I was just so in awe her so that's so I started writing so I started you know reading everything and and I um I I finally decided to start writing now mind you this was a long time ago I've been published for almost 30 years and back in the day the internet didn't even exist you know it wasn't like a place that you could go to for research um so I spent a lot of time at libraries researching this story that I wanted to tell about a wagon train going west and um I spent a lot a lot of time at, at libraries taking notes and avoiding the actual process of writing. <laughs> and finally, I started, yeah, finally I started writing and it took me almost three years to get, oh, I think somewhere between 75 and 100 pages. And because really it was just me figuring out how to tell a story, like how to write a story. Because it's not just like you're writing stuff down. You, you really, there's mechanics to the whole thing of storytelling. So somewhere around year three, I was in RWA at the time and the Golden Heart had at the time time a contest where you could just submit three chapters in a synopsis and you didn't have to have the whole book completed um, which you did in later years um, and I'm like well I have three chapters <laughs> and a synopsis almost <laughs> I could maybe submit to that so I did I submitted to it and, and I didn't I didn't even place in the contest I didn't final I got great feedback from the judges but for some reason the contest coordinator plucked my manuscript my three chapters out of the pile I don't even know why she did it I really never asked her because I was in such shock but she said I really want to I really loved your story and I want to introduce you to my agent and I'm wow. Wow. Whoa, what? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not going to turn that down. Of course. Yeah. Mind you, I had three chapters of this book and I'd never written a whole book. So this agent took me surprisingly. And she said, well, I'm going to try to sell your book now. But if I sell your book, you're going to have to finish it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. 
okay. <laughs> and I thought, well, no chance she's going to sell it. You know, it's just not going to happen. And then she sold it like right away. And I got a two book oh deal on it to Zebra, to Zebra Books. And then I had to finish it. And right at that time, my husband got a job working here in Dallas, actually, um, on a sitcom. I was on a, I think I had three and a half months or four months to finish this book. And it had taken me three years to even get three three chapters. <laughs> so it was <laughs> terrifying, but I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And I, I did, I did finish it and I, I made my deadline. And yeah, so that's how it's kind of started for me. Just weird. So I love that you, you said something you said that just, I felt so seen is that you spent a lot of time taking notes yeah. and all of this, not actually yeah. writing. That yeah. is, I feel like it's me and Sarah at oh the my moment. God, yes. Yeah, we want to write, but we're just so busy, like taking notes and yeah. reading blog posts on conflict and, and characters and you oh know, yes. oh, the setting and you know, <laughs> yeah, right. And then we we have our meeting with we have a writers group with a couple of friends, and we mm-hmm. we show up and we're like, yeah, we did no actual writing this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's oh, just like I... you know, we're as we've we have read tons of romance, but it's yeah. like we don't. That doesn't mean that we know how to write one. So yeah. I just I really appreciate you saying that because I'm like. Uh, don't you think everybody I think everybody I mean not every not maybe not Nora but everybody starts out that way and and is a little scared and intimidated by the whole process but you know I mean on the other hand I think I like I said I did get into a class finally and I got into a group and all of us were super motivated to get published and we all did all of us did. I mean, which oh, was kind awesome. of a miracle. Yeah. But we did push each other. And I think that's important to have people who push you and challenge you. Can I also ask, because we haven't had anyone mention Zebra. And I'm like, I know yeah. I have some used books on my shelf that were oh, yeah. published by Zebra. So can yeah. you talk about that publisher? Yeah. Zebra was one of the few like really independent publishers. I mean, they weren't like the big five. They were like the sixth. <laughs> kind of. I mean, they published a whole lot of books, and now they're called. Now they're called. Oh gosh, see, my mind just went blank. They're still. Still, they're still around, and I can't oh, remember. Oh really? Right now. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They've just trans transmuted into something else. Um. But yeah, they're one of the few still remaining independent publishers. You know, that isn't one of the big five, like Berkeley or you know Simon and Schuster. They've never allowed themselves to be acquired. But anyway, they had um, a lot of historical romance going back then. Um, back in the day when I first started, Harlequin, you know, had a knock on um, contemporary romance, although there was some competition for them, like Love Swept and, you know, a couple other candle, candle light, I think. Candlelight, was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Candlelight was also one of the lines that was still taking. So there were a lot of opportunities for writers back then, you know, a lot more than I think there are today for new writers to get in the door, to get their foot in the door. Um, and Zebra, Zebra Walter Zacharias was the, you know, editor-in-chief of that house and he was just great i mean he was so great and we 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 had a lot of fun in that line and i loved all the girls and all the girls that i wrote with back then i mean a lot of them have moved on to single title you know kind of mainstream books they're uh, thrillers and that kind of thing. So, you know, I still see a few of them of us <laughs> around, you know, who started who started back in those days. Yeah, it was fun. So what what was the world of publishing like back then when you started? I mean, like you said, there was no internet and stuff like, you know, working with agents, working with publishers. What was that like? Well, it was all paper, by the way, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day. I mean, there were 
you know, my I think my first book was 500 pages, which is big. You know, it's a lot of pages. I think it was 120,000 words. So I had to ship my manuscript back and forth between my house and my Zebra editor and myself. We went back and forth a few times that way, which is pretty expensive, actually, <laughs> and and pretty weighty and not, you know, very handy. But um, that's, that's how that worked. Telephone calls with agents, you know, because I, I lived in LA and she was in New York. That's not ideal. You know, honestly, I think it's 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 nice if you can be face to face with an agent and an editor. Sure. And really, the only times that ever really happened were at conferences. You know, we would get to see each other and you know, we would have lunch or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's way different today with technology. You can Zoom with them. You can, you know, actually have FaceTime with them and talk. And I think that's so important. I think a lot gets lost in translation, which is phone calls. And, and even mm-hmm, like today true. now, everybody wants to text, but <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's super important to have a, a real connection, I think, with your editor and your and your agent and feel yeah. comfortable with them, especially editors. You know, I think a lot of people are afraid to talk to their editors because they feel like, oh, they're the gods up there, you know, kind of above us. And, you know, we we're not worthy mm-hmm. <laughs> to bother them. But the <laughs> truth is, they're just like us. You know, I mean, their business is our business. And they really do actually, for the most part, I won't speak for all of them, but I think they really do want a personal relationship with their writers. Um, and I think it helps you as a writer to have that. And so, what was the world of romance like yeah. back when you started publishing? That it's heyday, I think. You know, I mean, I think I think I, my first book came out in 1990 and uh, it was big. I mean, there was a lot going on in the romance world. And as a, as a romance community, had started to um, become a, a genre that was well never respected exactly. It was a force in the in the book publishing world. You know, yeah. I think women who write romance have never been given the credit for all the. Um, I mean, we had I think sixty percent of the mass market at that point. I'm not sure oh if my that's gosh. still true yeah. of now digital publishing. I don't know how that works exactly, but back in that day, it was about 60% of, of mass market publishing was romance. And that was all women, you know, who were writing for the most part, mm-hmm. not all, but most. So, so it looked really different in that day. We had a lot of shelf space in bookstores. There were a lot of independent bookstores. There were a lot of, you know, Barnes and Noble was around, Crown Books, you know, uh, all the big um, houses were out. There were like, I think there were maybe seven, seven or nine distributors at the time, which now is like, now there's hardly any, there's a couple. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it was a big, a big business and a big force. There were a lot of paperbacks. Nobody had digital books at that point. Um, And at that point, digital was kind of like, I mean, didn't even exist. It was sort of in the contracts nebulously. (laughs) Like if anything ever happens, you know, we we own the rights (laughs) no matter what. Um, But, but nobody really had digital books yet. When digital books, kind of came in I think you know maybe the maybe the mid 2000s they started making noise about digital books um, then the landscape really started changing for publishing and by the way I mean historicals that I was writing at that point in the early 90s um, <laughs> it was it was sad and funny at the same time editors got so sick of all the historicals because it was a huge market they got so mm-hmm. sick of them they're like if I read another historical <laughs> and by the way she I, I had one editor say if I read another covered wagon story I'm gonna throw up <laughs> I'm like oh no 
and my wagon trail trail story my first book which she rejected me of course but I did find another editor after that anyway um I I just think that yeah it it got um it everything changed when digital kind of came into the world and and a lot of writers spent a lot of time poo-pooing digital and saying well it's not real writing if you do digital you know you got to go New York and New York was in the heyday the place nobody published really anywhere else. It was it was all out of New York. So yeah, it's just very different now. It's, it's mm-hmm. a lot of self-publishing now. And I mean, it's opened up the world, I think, to writers in a in a big way that, you know, didn't even exist for us back then. You were sure. you were you yeah. had to pass through the gates of New York to get published in the day. Mm-hmm. So. It sounds like such an exciting time. Mm-hmm. I was. guess so I'm gonna try to make this this make sense. But so you know, you it's this exciting time. There's this romance boom. It's really having like this moment, which just sounds so fantastic. Um, but you know, and look, you're writing, you know, your earlier novels were historicals, and they were set mostly like in the in the old west, yeah. which is so fun. But you know, how do you I guess there's Regency is always like super popular, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just a popular time period that historical romance readers. So enjoy can I tell you from. that that's more recent than when I was writing it. When I was writing historicals, Regency was this little tiny niche. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wanting. I guess I wanted to ask. So were you I mean, you're writing the stories that you want to write, Mm -hmm. but like what was, I guess, was the market telling, were people telling you like, this is what's popular and this is what you should be writing? Mm -hmm. Was that a conversation? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, But Regency per se was not the thing. Regency had, I mean, I remember the Regency books back then. They were a little, very short. There were maybe 50,000 words, which is fairly short. It's kind of like a desire length, right? And um, and nobody really talked about it much, except Mary Jo Putney started writing longer. And they were not technically all Regency. They were like in that time period, kind of between 1800 and 1850 or so. So it was before the Civil War, say, and they were English. So a lot of them were set in England. Now, Mary Jo Putney is another one of my you know, favorite writers. I just love her. And um, so she started writing the longer, longer historicals that were set in England, which kind of led, I think, to the ultimately to the Regency time period being, you know, kind of a favorite. So yeah, so it wasn't Regency then, but now it's yeah, everybody's writing Regency. Wow. Back in the day, my aunt used to read a lot of the old, what would they consider to be the bodice rippers, right? Yeah. And I think there's a misconception that those were Regency, but they weren't. No. Like the Fabio covers, a lot of those were, were West, like the yeah. Western stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's just very, now that you mention it, like I'm thinking back on it going, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had Fabio on a couple of my covers, actually. And he was in oh, wow. He was in disguise because his hair was dark, you know, and he looked a little bit different, but it was Fabio. And it, mm-hmm. and it, it was funny because I found I, I ended up on a list of Fabio covers and I went like, oh that gosh. was Fabio? I didn't even know that was Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> like, Thanks, Zebra. On the other hand, the West was a ne- was kind of a niche historical also, even though mm-hmm. in the early days of Zebra, I think the West was big. And then mm-hmm. about... 
I don't know, 1996 or 97, like about six, six years into my writing career, everybody got sick of historicals. Historicals were dead, you know, as far as they were concerned, dead, dead, dead. Nobody could sell one. And I'm like, really? oh, great. <laughs> wow. I can't yeah, I mean, imagine. Like, it, it, but, it, it, but it's like that in the market. You know, the market goes up and down. It comes in waves and, you know, vampires are in, vampires are out. Um, mm-hmm. Historicals are in, they're out. So I went like, oh, my God, now what do I do? If nobody will buy historicals from me, I better figure out how to write contemporaries. So I started reading them like I did with historicals. I just devoured contemporaries and read them and read them. And um, and I submitted to Silhouette, which is mm-hmm. you know what Harlequin used to be. Harlequin slash Silhouette. Was, they were two separate companies at that point. I submitted a book called um, To Love a Cowboy. And I sort of first submitted it as a desire because desire was a great line, but they ended up putting it in um, Intimate Moments, which was their kind of more emotional line at the time. And it's sort of also become their romantic suspense line, which I ended up moving into eventually. But yeah, so that's how I got into, so I was very lucky to get picked up by somebody at, at Silhouette. I was thrilled because then I could go to the Silhouette party at RWA <laughs> that everybody got to go. <laughs> All my friends were in Silhouette. Sarah, I want to go to a Silhouette party. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. We missed all the days of the parties, Sarah. I know. I know. But I think I think you're our first author who wrote for Silhouette. Really? Like when it was actually Silhouette? Because well, I'm I so. Think old. so. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was. It was. Um, uh, gosh. And I. I didn't even get in at the beginning. You know. I mean, I was kind of late. A late bloomer. Mm-hmm. It's silhouette. And so the zebra books, they were longer, right? The oh, yeah. zebra books were a little bit longer in length. So yes. did you have to train yourself to write the shorter books? Yeah. Like what was that journey like? Yeah. Um, I really had to like shut up, you know, <laughs> I had to like not. <laughs> well, okay. Here's the thing. I mean, like historicals are, are big adventures. I mean, mine are at least mine are big Know, kind of wild west adventures and love stories and there's a lot of research that goes into them and I don't I don't overdo the research in my books but there is a lot of I have to know a lot of stuff about what happened when and where the railroads were and all that stuff but when I got to contemporaries I'm like oh my god look everybody knows what a red dress looks like you know I don't have to really describe <laughs> it you know I, I don't really have to like say you know like more than a make of a car you know like everybody knows what that's like so that right there mm-hmm. cut down a lot of my verbiage but yeah I did have to to train myself to do shorter. I think Intimate Moments was one of the longer lines, luckily for me, which they probably knew that going in, um, which is why they <laughs> didn't put me in Desire because Desire was about, I don't know, 10,000 10, words shorter <laughs> than Intimate Moments. Um, so yeah, it was it was definitely a learning curve. Just like screenwriting was like a, a real learning curve after I had written about four, four books for Silhouette. Then the market kind of really changed. Everything, I don't know what happened back in 2003, I guess, or 2004. I don't know what happened. It was just a weird time. And I think the houses started shifting. Editors were getting canned. Authors were getting, you know, canned. The mid-list kind of disappeared. I think it was what happened was the distributors disappeared and the big book sales places disappeared and their market shrank a lot. Um, They were doing a lot of, you know, sales by subscription. And, you know, there was Mm -hmm. Barnes and Noble is like the last man standing, you know, of bookstores. There's only a mm-hmm. few of those around too. So I started screenwriting with my husband right about, about that time. I went back to college to, I went back and got my graduate degree. I got a master's in, in creative writing. I was working on that screenplay, which taught me really paring down my words. I mean, it was like subtraction rather than addition. I, I really learned how to be very focused and succinct in my 
in my words. So coming back to writing after that was a struggle because I had been so sparse, you know, as a screenwriter Um, and learning how to write a novel again, almost it was a curve for me again, which is funny (laughs) after writing a bunch of books. But that's so interesting because I think of like when you're writing for TV, you're you're writing for us to see, you know, and I've seen my my husband goes to film school. So I've seen him like his screenwriter assignments. And I know that you're putting in you know, um, the door is opened and all like Stage all of that stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, like that stuff's in there. But when we watch it on TV, it's like you just imagine this writer like writing a bunch of funny dialogue. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I can just imagine that being a lot different than like writing a novel where you have to put everything on the page so that we can imagine yeah. it like we were watching it on TV in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like you don't get the inner narrative at all on TV or film and and you have to, the dialogue or the action has to say it for you. You know, I mean, you have to understand it through the action or the dialogue. You can't, um, I mean, mostly you don't have a narrator who tells you things. Occasionally you'll see that trope, you know, used, you know, where the narrator is like telling you stuff, Mm -hmm. and that's the inner world that you can't really generally get in film and TV. It's hard. I don't love screenwriting. Although I've been tempted to try it again recently because a lot of uh, books are now turning into films and they are actually Mm -hmm. allowing some writers to write the screenplays for them. And I'm like, "Mm, maybe I should try it. (laughs) It's confusing. You should try. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's super confusing, though, when you go from one to the other. It's just it's two different Mm -hmm. brains almost, you know, it's like math and English. (laughs) In a weird way. <laughs> so we saw on your website that you also wrote a title under Harlequin's Blaze line called yeah. Once a Gambler under the name Carrie Hudson. How right. did uh, writing for Harlequin come about? Okay, so Harlequin and Silhouette had by then joined. And like I said, I was in grad school. I went to grad school um, to get my master's. And my good friend, Deborah Rollins, who write, who wrote for um, Blaze for many years, um, her name was Debbie Quattroni, really. And we were good friends. And she was mad at me for not writing anymore. She just was like, I need you to write another book. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm just kind of stuck in the screenwriting world. And um, she said, okay, I have a book and I can make it a duet. So it's a time travel book. And this girl disappears from our world and ends up in the Old West. And and you could write the sequel to it. I mean, I'm like, oh, gosh, a time travel. I don't know. And... (laughs) We did brainstorm on it finally one day and um, I said, okay, and her editor okayed it. And But in order to do that, I had to change my name. I couldn't write under Barbara Ancrum for that particular line. Um, and I think really fantasy, it was very different. And it was for Harlequin. And I kind of regretted not being able to use my own name in that because nobody knew who I, who I was, who Carrie Hudson was. Um, but I, I did write that book and, and it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun writing that book. And that was the only one I did for them. And and then I, I did it actually as I was getting my master's. It was like I was writing a book for that, um, for my thesis. I was writing that book for Harlequin. I was reading, I mean, a million books for my, you know, degree. It was a very busy time. And after that, I, you know, I didn't write for Blaze anymore. I just have to tell you, like, this is how the stars have aligned. So Sarah and I just finished a buddy read with one of our girlfriends. And it was part of the Blaze series. And we're like, what are we going to read next? And Sarah's like, oh, they have a time travel series of part, yeah. that's part of Blaze. Oh, no. And so we're like, just we're virtually hanging out the other night and like looking at your website. And I was like, Sarah, 
Barbara Ankrum wrote in that time travel series we're gonna read next. So, and I've got both of them on my because I'm a huge fan of Debbie Rollins. I've been reading her forever, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, and so, so I bought both them in the series. So they're on my shelf. How funny <laughs> is that? It's probably the only one I've sold in like ten years, but you know. I'm happy. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Debbie is such a fabulous writer. Oh my gosh. I love her so much. And I know she's retired Mm -hmm. at this point, but um, she is a fantastic person and a fantastic writer. I just love her. Anyone who knows me knows I have a love of cowboy. Oh yeah. I mean, this one was was super fun too. And it was like a riverboat gambler and she ends up going landing on his riverboat (laughs) and he doesn't want anything to do with her, but... (laughs) It's pretty fun. So one of your uh, Thule titles, The Christmas Wish, was adapted into film for Hallmark. Uh, It's called Holiday Hearts, and it is one of my favorites. I love Paul Campbell. I love Ashley Williams. Um, So can you tell us, I mean, do you remember where you were when you learned one of your books was being turned into a movie? And this is so cool knowing that you have this Hollywood background, and then you step into the world of writing and then one of your books gets turned into a movie that is so cool so can you tell us about that yeah I mean the the irony of my life really that one of my books ended up getting (laughs) made into a movie I have to say and I think I was here I think I was home when Jane Porter who is Thule um Thule's publisher called me and said um your book just got greenlit and I'm like Oh my God, because I had optioned it and I knew it was optioned. Well, I mean, that in itself was like ridiculous. But I thought, well, I know Hollywood. The odds of it ever getting made, even though it's optioned, are like astronomical. That's just not going to happen. And so when she finally called me and said it was greenlit... I screamed so loud. I screamed. I'm, I had to like mute the phone. Screaming so loud. And my husband, you know, who also, you know, I mean, he's produced in TV stuff, but never in film, which we always just dreamed about, you know, together. And I mean, he was super happy. For, he's the most supportive the most lovely, wonderful human being. And um, he's the reason that I can do what I do. So I was really happy that we could celebrate that together. And at least one of us got a movie made, which is pretty fun. Yeah, that is it awesome. was it was amazing. Yeah. So Shelly Hack, and this is this is the other irony. Remember, I told you I worked at Bullock's selling mm-hmm. cosmetics. I worked for Revlon. That's what, That was the, the desk that I worked at. And Shelly Hack was the Revlon Charlie girl when I was working that job. And Shelly Hack is the one that bought my book for Hallmark. She was the producer on it. So oh how's that for gosh. irony? <laughs> well, that's awesome. I know. It was fun. And I got to meet her, you know, of course, because I went to the set. And they shot it up in Vancouver, um, uh, this mm-hmm. beautiful park up there. Oh, my gosh. What a thrill. Ugh. I can't even, I get conflamped just talking about it. It was pretty fun. So you've published quite a bit with Thule. Um, Can you talk about your journey uh, into publishing with them and what it's been like working with them? I I was, wor- after I got my degree, I went back to work. I went to work. I decided, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know why. I was, I think I was in a midlife crisis. <laughs> and I got a job um, working as a legal secretary. And um, it was a I, I did it for four years. By the fourth year, I was really fed up with it. I just really hated my job so much. And um, uh, Jane Porter had started Thule, I think in 2013, 2014. And out of the blue, she called me up one day and asked me if I'd write for her. And they were mostly hiring, they're mostly hiring Harlequin authors, you know.
know, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the group she was surrounded with. She was a harlequin. She writes for Mills and Boone, and um, she's a fantastic writer too. And um, she asked me if I'd come and write for them, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm working. I've got a full time job. I don't have time to write a book. You know, I, I wish I could, but no, I'm sorry. Thank you for asking. And she called again, like. A month and a half later, she goes, <laughs> I still want you to write for us. Come on. Come and write for us. Miss Jane like, oh isn't giving up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. This is the universe. And honestly, it really was the universe knocking. You know, I looking back at it now, I just say that you know when your soul is on the right path and when it's not on the right path. Mm-hmm. Writing is my soul. And legal secretary is not my soul. Yeah. <laughs> it was my soul at all. And I, I knew, it was like every day I knew when I went in, I'm like, I am one step farther away from my soul journey where I am supposed to be. Oh. And so I said to Jane, I said, okay, Jane, I'm given my notice. And I did, gave my notice. And I wrote that book and it was a fair book. It was, um, uh, she said, we're doing a book about a country fair. A, the a anthology. Yeah. An anthology. Yeah. We're doing an anthology about a country fair and we want you to write one of the books. And, um, and when she said it, all I could think was a fair to remember. And, um, and I sort of thought of a whole series of books kind of based on film that I loved, you know, and a fair to remember was like this promise to get together, you know, at the top of the New York state, state empire of state tower building. What's the name of that building? Anyway, mm-hmm. and that you know doesn't quite work out. It's just a little bit off. And so that was that story, um, uh, fair to remember, um, that I started writing for Thule. And that turned into the candidates, the um, candidates of Montana that turned into a whole series. And that was The Christmas Wish and Holiday Hearts was one of those books that turned into a movie. Wow. And then I just kept writing for them. I mean, I just love writing for Thule. I have to say they're super great to work for. It's all women. They're all, you know, women who understand the publishing world. Jane's been an author forever and it's a super transparent, lovely company to work for. Lots of opportunities for new writers, which is great. They really are bringing on a lot of new writers. I'm very happy there. So can you talk about the Guardian Angel Chronicles series that's published with Twilly? Can you tell us where the the series idea came from? We did talk about 2020. <laughs> and <laughs> the first book um, in that series really sprang directly out of my feelings during the pandemic of feeling disconnected and feeling, you know, that things were going wrong and um, some. That book came to me kind of in a weird way, and um, it's it's about it's about a, a woman who dies, leaving her child to her best friend, and now her best friend, who's really stuck in her life and raising her son, is possibly about to make a very bad decision, <laughs> and so the mother who is now in heaven with my special angel, Marguerite, who is the one who kind of she's a thread throughout all of these books, asks her to go and intervene, asks her to go and encourage her to make the right decision because there's two different men that are a possibility for her to end up settling with. And one of them is an old, old boyfriend. Um, cause I love second chance books. <laughs> so I just, I needed, I needed a book that would kind of connect me and, and feel like we do have angels around us, you know, kind of watching out for us. Um, and that book kind of like turned into the next book, which is the Christmas fix up book, um, which even became more kind of fantasy paranormal because the heroine in it is an angel herself. And, she, um, and she comes down, it's, it's a little complicated. There's 
there's a father and a daughter in that book too. And he's a widow sort of by accident. Like it's actually, it's a mistake. (laughs) It was a mistake that happened. She's sent down to try to fix this mistake um, on a mingle. Um, And it's just a short little time where she gets to be basically human, sort of. Uh, And her only rule for this whole thing is, you know, you've got to find someone for Molly for to be her mom. You know, we've got to fix this, this problem because she needs a mom. And um, yeah, so then things happen. (laughs) And then things happen. That book, you know, I think more than anything, as I was writing that book during this pandemic, you know, where I was so isolated from everybody, you know, so alone and really wanting connection again, really wanting to be in the world. So it was kind of like very symbolic for me, you know, this girl comes down and she's been really isolated in the file rooms for many, 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 many years. And she's forced to be back in the world, you know, to experience the world again and to connect with people and to make connections. And this whole book is basically about connections and what happens, you know, once she comes down. Um, so yeah, I just loved writing this book so much. It was, it was just so fun. Yeah, we were, we were reading it and freaking out. Like I, I was messaging Sarah and I'm like, it's feeling kind of paranormalish, and I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, you know, yeah. but uh, it was, it's so fun, but there are mm-hmm. some, like some moments that really had me kind of choked up. Like when I don't want to spoil it, but when Marguerite gives Elle the mission, yeah. you, like you said, she learned, she tells her this Molly's mom dying was a mistake. And you're like, oh, gosh. And her dad really is. He's kind of checked out. But I'm I'm also thinking he's grieving in his own way. Mm -hmm. Um, But Elle, yeah, she just really comes back and you you do get that sense of connection. And I mean, what a better like the holidays are the perfect time to remind us of how important that is. So it's fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, that first book, Every Time a Bell Rings, actually got optioned for film too. Oh, wow. Um, and that, I'm not sure because the pandemic, you know, and filming mm. delayed everything. So we're not sure whether that's going to happen or not, but it got it op- was optioned at MGM. And wow. um, that was a thrill, seeing MGM at the top of my contract. That was pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that could still happen. We don't know if that's going to happen. And, and then Christmas Fix Up, you know, is also you know, being considered a couple places. So fingers crossed, you know, I get another one. Oh, it would be really fun. This one would be perfect. Oh my no. goodness. My fingers Thank are crossed. You. Thank you. So being in that, like the film world and writing romance, what are your thoughts on, I mean, we get romance on screen, but I feel like we don't get it as much as you did once upon a time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. You know, I, I feel like Hollywood has a... Hollywood doesn't like happy endings. And, you know, romance has to have happy endings. Hollywood just kind of poo-poos it. It's kind of like literary fiction, right? You know, <laughs> they're like, well, if it doesn't have a sad ending, it can't be valid, right? And mm. I think, for instance, I mean, Bridgerton has been a big revelation. And Julia Quinn, let's face it, she's fantastic. Um, and Bridgerton, being as hugely popular as it was, all of a sudden made everybody sit up and go like, wait, and, and also Hallmark, but made everybody sit up and go, wait a minute, maybe this romance thing, maybe it's not it's such a bad something. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of companies now are looking for romance. Romance. I mean, not just Mm -hmm. sort of romance, but real romance where everybody ends up feeling kind of happy at the end. 
you know, so that's a good thing. But Hollywood in, you know, in the, in the serious Hollywood world, they're still, they're still feeling above all that somehow, I guess. And, and I don't get that. I don't get why they feel like they have to put like a, a bad twist on stuff to make it valid um, mm-hmm. and have the unhappy ending. You know what I mean? I know my husband's a huge movie buff. I'm I'm not so much, but Garrett is. And uh-huh. his biggest complaint is everything is getting remade. It's like, yeah. can't we have something new? And he'll like point at my book room and say, here's a million stories. Pick you know. one, you know, like... <laughs> There's there's so much out there and so many great authors that could be, as you said, like, you know, turn into movies. It would be I would love to see it like, you know, back in the day when Harry met Sally, you Mm -hmm. know, Sleepless in Seattle, that that era. It was just so amazing for for romance movies. And then we had Meg Ryan. So. Oh yeah. God! Yeah, we had Meg You're Ryan. Back. We had Nora Ephron. Yeah, <laughs> Nora Ephron. Oh, I love Nora. Ephron. Oh yeah. <laughs> but even before that, I think of like all Nancy the Myers. old Hollywood movies I love. Yes. I'm like, I think of Fred Astaire. Like it, it was always a romance. Like yeah. I don't know when this wave mm-hmm. of everything has to be sad. I think it was like the cynic I think it was like the cynical 60s, you know, kind of came in and made everything a little more cynical and and then after that, you know, it was like the oh, let's just party 80s, you know, and and the yeah. 90s it's like we're confused. We don't know who we are <laughs> at all. <laughs> So, you know, I I think they're just trying to find their, I I think they're trying to find themselves. And now that, you know, theaters have all closed down everywhere, it's changing Mm -hmm. the industry again. I think they really do have to appeal to a very different audience that likes to stay at home and not be at the movie theater. So we'll see, you know, how that goes. But I know a lot of companies are looking for romance right now, which is a really good thing. So let's talk some writing questions. Uh, Set the scene for us. Are you an early bird or a night owl? What time of day do you feel the most productive with writing? Well, that's kind of shifted over the years. When I was first writing, it was when my kids were in school. I would write all day and start early in the morning. But I always like to get a walk in first before I start. So I have a dog and she's sitting right next to me here (laughs) being very good and quiet. (laughs) And um, so I do take a, a long, you know, mile to two miles in the morning, maybe sometimes three. And then I sit down. So anywhere between, say, 10 and 11, I'll start and I'll really work until almost four. So midday, that's my best time. Are you a plotter or pantser? I used to be a plotter because I wrote for New York and they needed synopsises, you know, so (laughs) I had to know the whole story. And Thule doesn't require that from me. Um, They want to know kind of what the story is about. So it was very liberating to not have to have a synopsis and become a panster. However, it is much slower. I mean, I get stuck and I love it because I feel like I discover stuff as I go and I have the freedom to do that. And I feel like it's made my books better, but it's not as fast as I'd like it to be. So yeah, I would say I'm a, I'm a in-betweener. I sort of know my bullet points, you know, when I start and I know the beginning and the end and I sort of know the middle. That's pretty much it. If it's a project you've already been working on, do you reread over the previous day's work before beginning? Yes, always. I, I've always done it that way. And I, I don't think I could do it the other way. I mean, some people, I know people who do nano, nano write more, you know, those kind of things where they're really writing fast. I, I rewrite as I go. So by the time I'm done, I'm, I'm pretty much done with my draft. So I've rewritten it already. Like, three or four times like as I go so I'm pretty happy with it as I'm moving on and sometimes I'll go back and lay in stuff but that's that's kind of how I do it but there is no right way there's no right way by the way I'm just saying no of course not are there any necessities you need around you while writing I, I like to listen to music I like to listen to soundtracks when I write I try to find emotional soundtracks that kind of fit what I'm writing like I can listen to Harry Met Sally or you know 
mm-hmm. You've Got Mail, those kind of soundtracks of him writing something fun and light, a romantic comedy, or, it, you know, kind of more emotional dances with wolves, <laughs> um, you know, historical kind of um, pieces. So yeah, I do need that. Otherwise, no, I mean, I'm just, I, I started writing in my living room when my kids were little. So I'm, I'm pretty easy. You know, I, I don't, I'm not terribly, I just have to find the right spot. You know, I just have to find, like, I moved out of my, my bedroom and into my living room to kind of to write. I don't know why. I just, I feel like maybe it's, I need to be around things, you know, like things that are happening. <laughs> I don't like mm-hmm. being isolated. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's, maybe that's true. Do you set daily writing goals? I should, but <laughs> I honestly, um, no, I just try to get through scenes. I, I don't really do page or word count goals, but I do try to get through a scene, like do one scene at least. And that's when I'm just kind of getting going. Like as I as I move into a story and the flow starts happening, like about halfway through, I'll start charging through it and I'll get through the ending pretty quickly. So it's getting all that stuff kind of straight in my head, you know, like getting the tone right. I'll often push like 75 pages down you know, when I first start a book um, that isn't got the right tone, hasn't got the right tone to it, that I realize after I've started getting these two people talking to each other. And I don't realize that until I do that. Um, So yeah, so that's possible too. Are there specific programs you use for your writing? No, just Word. I'm old school. (laughs) I used to use WordPerfect, but now I switched over to Word, like, you know, when I I think when I started writing for Tuli, I switched over. Um, so that's it. Yeah. If you do find yourself stumped on a scene, who do you call or what do you do? My husband. My <laughs> husband is my go-to always. He's the best. And he's uh, he's also real creative and he's a, um, a writer too. So he does he does understand story. Um, he mm-hmm. used to be, he's been a literary agent for a while. He, he's not doing that so much anymore. He's doing talent management now. So from here, he still does that for LA actors. Um, so he's really, really good with story. So I, I always go to him. Let's get into some backlist questions okay which book from your backlist do you remember laughing the most while writing um i think okay it's had a title change but it was originally called almost paradise and now it's called the lady takes a gunslinger that story was so fun to write she was a dime store novelist (laughs) in the (laughs) 1870s i think it was i think it was the 1870s she was a dime store novelist that's that she was an aspirational dime store novelist. She wanted to be, but she read a lot of them. So she thought she knew the West really well. And she had to go rescue her brother down in Mexico from Maximilian, um, a prison in, in Mexico. And she hired um, this drunk, you know, ne'er-do-well hero to take her there, to be her escort. <laughs> and it was just the most fun book ever. I just loved writing it. And of course, he reformed. By the end. Which book from your backlist was the toughest to write? Um, uh, Essie Sparks um, was probably my toughest one. Um, the Ruination of Essie Sparks is the name of it. And I did that a few years ago. It was when I came back to writing. And it was the first historical kind of that I'd really written. No, I wrote one other one. But that one was, I, I threw away at least three openings to it. I think I, th- I must have thrown away 250 pages um, as I was trying to figure out how to open this book and how to tell the story. And it was a story of a, a girl who teaches at a one of those um, Indian schools back in Montana. And um, it was where they took all the children from the tribes and, you know, tried to make them white, which was just such a terrible, terrible time. And um, I was scared to write it. I think I was scared to write it because there was the hero was like half, um, half Indian, half Native American and half white. The other character in it was Native American. And I was very scared to write that book because, you know, I'm not. Um, I did that. I probably couldn't publish that book today for obvious reasons. But I went to a, a park 
when I was living up in Kansas where we lived before we came here. And it was a, it's hard to explain. There was a, a mound. It was a Kansas tribe that lived in mound homes, right? They built, you know, hills over their um, interior um, living quarters, kind of like mm-hmm. not a teepee, but a mound. And I was walking through that one day, just like thinking, oh gosh, I wish I'd seen this when I was writing historical Westerns because I totally could have used this. And there was a girl there who was from that particular tribe, the Kansas tribe. And I was saying that to her. I was saying, oh gosh, well, I used to write Western historicals and I always wanted to try to write one about you know Native Americans as well and incorporate that. And she goes, well, why wouldn't you? And I said, well, because I'm not. You know, and she said, but who will tell that story if you don't? Well, yeah. mm-hmm. that was just, that was such a light bulb moment for me. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I will try it. And so Essie Sparks came from that conversation that I had with her and it was hard, but also super, super satisfying. I love that book. Yeah. 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 You did it for yourself. I mean, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Is there a book in your backlist that you feel readers have reached out to you about the most? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think it would have to be Holt's Gamble, which was my very first book. <laughs> Strangely mm-hmm. enough. I mean, that one started my Wild Western Heart series. Um, and it started out as Passion's Prize. That was the title of it. Um, I got lots of mail on that book when I first published it. And I still get letters from people who are reading, who have started reading that series and just love that book. Um, I, I taught, I don't know if I mentioned this too, I taught for many years. I used to teach it. UCLA Extension Writers Program. And um, I did that for about 10 years in the middle of all this other stuff that I was doing. <laughs> and um, I taught I taught romance writing, basically, is what I taught. And one of my students, who's a film girl, you know, she's like, this has got to be a movie someday. I love this book. This is my favorite book of all of your books. And I'm like, oh, well, thanks. <laughs> my first book, you know. And um, I, I still do. It was a book of my heart. I do love that book. So that one, I, I would say. And then also this um, Affair to Remember, too. I get a lot of I get a lot of letters on that one, too, which is my first Thule book. So I don't know what it is about first books, but yeah. Is there a book in your backlist that you feel taught yourself taught you something about yourself as a writer? Well, Essie Sparks, again, you know, that mm-hmm. I did really learn a lot from that. Um, also, I'll Remember You. Um, which was a Harlequin book or a silhouette book. It was my first foray into romantic suspense. I'd never tried that before. And that book kind of just came to me. So I ended up getting a read nomination for that book, which is weird, um, <laughs> but awesome. And I, I have written a couple of romantic suspenses since then, which I really enjoy. In fact, this one that I'm writing right now in the Angel series is a bit is a bit of romantic suspense. I mean, I think it's really good to stretch yourself and to do things that you're not used to doing. You know, I always like to scare myself just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> is there a book in your backlist with a character or scene that still comes across your mind? Yeah, I mean, lots of them, honestly. But one, um, Renegade Bride, which was one of my Western historicals. Oh my gosh, that story killed me. I just love that story so much. And it was sort of, there was a bit of a triangle in that story. There was a guy that lived or that had moved to Montana and his fiance was coming West to marry him. She'd been waiting, you know, to come until he settled himself and got a store started, but he was really the wrong fit for her. And and they ended up getting waylaid on the way back from the riverboat and his best friend had gone to get her and they ended up falling in love. And it was just terrible. It was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It was torturous. It was terrible. And the, other guy was a good guy that I didn't want to paint him as a bad guy. He was really a good guy. And I just felt terrible for him. And I've had a lot of letters on that one. I was like, is Seth going to ever get his own book? <laughs> you know, can we ever get happy after for him? And I'm like, oh yeah, I should write that. So that, so there's a scene at the end of that, of that 
um, book where Seth finds out and they're about to separate, you know, they're about to say goodbye because they know that they can never be, you know, because of their loyalty and love for Seth. And, but he finds out and then it's too late for all of them. And it's just, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that scene still kills me. So time for some round out questions. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? Hummingbird, Liverell Spencer. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, have you ever read that one? Mm -hmm. Delightful. My, yeah. I mean, my all time favorite book. Just love that book so much. I haven't read that one. I've, I have years by her. Oh yeah. You read that one? Oh yeah. Okay. That's, it's like this old library copy that's falling apart. I'm actually yeah. afraid to read it because I feel like the pages are going <laughs> to Oh, yeah. Hummingbird, Hummingbird is a, oh, my God, it's such a classic liberal. And um, she's she's this very prim and proper old maid and he is accused of robbing a train and she's got to help him he's been wounded in this train robbery and oh my god what ensues it's so good she keeps him at her house you know and it's just like oh yeah it's a lot it's great i highly recommend it tell us about one of your under the bed stories something you've written that will never see the light of day okay well so my master's thesis is under my bed (laughs) and will never get published. Um, Yeah, so that was a book. It was funny because my my advisor at school, when I didn't have any clue what I was going to write for my thesis book, um, because you literally had to write a whole book. While I was writing that other Blaze book, by the way, I had to write that book too. Um, She said, well, if, if you only had one more book in you and you could only write one more book, what would it be? And I knew immediately what that would be. And it was a historical, even though I had moved on to contemporaries by then. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a historical and I'd run across something in some research that I, I knew that eventually that would have to be a story. It, it took place post-Civil War um, in Reconstruction. And there's a lot, there's several black characters in it who are main characters. There's about a million points of view in it. There's, I think there's like <laughs> six points of view in it. And it, it re- would require a massive revision for me. And I just think at this point in the world of publishing, it's not going to ever see the light of day. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's okay. I learned a lot in that book too. <laughs> What's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded you of why you love the genre? Oh, you know, I, I I tend to not read what I'm writing if I'm reading romance, you know, if I'm reading other books, because it confuses me. So if I'm writing contemporary, I have to read historicals, or if I'm writing, you know, historicals, I have to read, you know, something else. Um, I've been reading a lot of non-romance because I'm in a book club that forces me to read other books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, which I, I just sat down and read Clara and the Sun, which isn't a romance exactly, but it kind of is a romance, except doesn't really have the happy ending that you want. Um, but that was a Japanese author who was just great. And I, it just reminded me like, oh gosh, I just love reading so much. I don't get to do it mm-hmm. enough. You know, I, I'm writing so much that I don't get to read as much as I want. But I will say Cressley Cole is my go-to. I love her. I love all of her stuff. And I was, I kind of was her beta reader for quite a long time. So I got to read all of her books, you know, early on. Yeah. Which was really fun. I think she's coming out with another book. I, the rumor is. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She took a break, but um, yeah. So I think she's coming back with another book. So yeah, she's great. Mary, Mary Bellow, I love all of her books. I'm just I'm just going back and reading The Survivors Club, which I love those books so much. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. Well, we know Haley Mills, but did you have another teenage celebrity crush? <laughs> oh God, that's so embarrassing. Um, Kurt Russell, I was really like, mm-hmm. I had a big, big crush on him. I had a big crush on Richard Harris from Camelot. Now mm-hmm. Richard Harris is dead at this point. 
okay. which is sad. You know, he was much older than me, but I still had a mad crush on him. And, and the guy who played Lancelot mm -hmm. in Camelot film guys were my crush because I always fantasized <laughs> that someday I'd work with them. You know, I'd be I'd be in a movie with them somehow. Uh, this might be a hard one to answer, but name one film you'll never stop watching. Um, Witness. Witness. I cannot channel surf past it. <laughs> <laughs> if I see it on TV, it's like I stop. I have to stop and watch the whole thing. And yeah. really, a, we in a weird, funny coincidence. So, have you seen Witness? I haven't. I don't no. think so. What? No, uh, you have to see it. Oh, so good. <laughs> it's so so good. It's set in the Amish, the Amish world, and it's oh that one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kelly McGillis and um, Indiana Jones, uh, Harrison Ford. Yes. Okay, so in that movie, which I just have loved forever, there's a bad guy in it who dies in a terrible way. And his name was Angus McGinnis. And I don't, you know, I didn't know him that well, you know, just from the movie. But my husband, who um, he did a voice in Star Wars, he did in the original uh, A New Hope Star Wars movie, he did um, Wedge Antilles, for the voice for that. He did the voiceover for an, an actor that was Scottish and um, they wanted an American voice. So that's his voice that you hear when he talks in the, in the movie. And so he's, he does a lot of Star Wars conventions and stuff and does signings and stuff. And what, did, what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Um, that romance novels and happy endings are valid and that women women's fiction, fiction written by women is a valid, wonderful genre. Mm -hmm. That's my mm -hmm. hill. We all fight it, but I, you know, I will defend it to my death. Can you share with us what you have coming up next? Yes. So Christmas Fix Up is coming out on Monday, which mm -hmm. is, it'll always already be done by the time this airs, but that's just mm -hmm. coming out. And I'm working on, um, the next book in that series and it's um i just got my fantastic cover for it called it's called calling all angels oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> Um, which, you know, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with that book, writing it. And, and then after that, I'm going to, I'm going to start working on another series that's not paranormal mm -hmm. for Thule. Um, and I think eventually I, I would like to try to write a, um, a bigger book. That's my, okay. that's one of my goals. I would like to try to do that. So, yeah. Another, like a bigger romance or women's fiction, maybe. Would you go back to historicals? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would go back to historicals. I may write another historical. In fact, I've got a novella that I have to expand into a novel uh, mm. that was uh, kind of at the beginning of my coming back to writing again that I wrote um, that I'm going to put out, I think, in the next year sometime. So that's a historical. Oh, nice. Um, okay. But I think I will probably do another historical eventually. I love them and I miss them. <laughs> I love I love historicals and I miss them um, just because they're bigger stories. They're just like yeah. grander stories. And I, I love that. So we'll see. I mean, my career is I'm just going to keep writing. That's all I can say. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. And lastly, uh, please tell everyone where they can follow you online. Um, I have a website, um, barbaraankrum.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on all those things. Yeah, you can follow me all those places. Um, just type in my name, basically, and it'll come up where I am. <laughs> So. Or listeners, check the show notes because we yes. will have all of those listed down below. <laughs> so good. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today and letting us pick your brain. It's been, mm -hmm. we have just been so excited uh, for the opportunity to, to talk to you. So thank you so much for sharing your time with thank us. You so, yes. Thank you so much. I, I really loved talking to you both. It was really fun. And um, I look forward to uh, 
meeting you guys someday somewhere in the world. Yay. Yay. Yes. yes. <laughs> and keep writing. Keep writing. Put some pages down. That's what I'm saying. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have all the links to where you can keep up with the Barbara Ankrum, as well as where you can get all of her books. Keep an eye out for the Christmas fix up. It is incredible. You have to read mm-hmm. Elle's book. You have to read it, you guys. Um, and yeah, Sarah and I will chat with you all in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Mm-hmm.